Welcome to the Side Hustles and Stuff Podcast, Episode 12. My name is Yuri, and I'm joined by Keishi. Hey, Yuri. How are you? How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm pretty good, too. Uh, I was going to talk about drinks, but <laughs> I don't think our drinks have changed since the last episode, Episode 11. Yeah, still with the same water. I, I still have uh, coffee and lemon squash and water, too, because I want to stay hydrated. Yeah, being hydrated is important, especially when you talk a lot. Yeah, so, so what are we talking about today? So today is more of a uh, another unscripted type of conversation that we're having, right? Oh, it's great. I love those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm glad that you love those. You know, I was thinking like, hmm, what, what topic should I pitch to Keishi today? And I didn't know. I was like, all right, let's do the unscripted one. I'm glad that you liked it. Yeah, because I, I think we were talking about this before, but it seems like every time we or generally it's me, every time I hit the stop recording button, it's like when we have the best discussions that we wish we had recorded. Yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe I should be in charge of the recording. I, I could say like, all right, <laughs> I could lie to you and tell you like, all right, listen, we stopped recording. Let's talk. Let's have a deep talk now. Yeah, that, that, that sounds good. I, I can outsource that too. I, I'll be happy to let it go. I'll, I'll just lie <laughs> like, yeah, we're done recording. So uh, what's up? <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I, I guess one of the first things that I wanted to chat about briefly, um, we both went to the same university, and um, it, it definitely wasn't the most expensive one out there, but it also wasn't the cheapest one out there. Um, but um, the other day, I just read that Harvard plans to charge the same $50,000 per year for the next academic year, even though it's going to be all held online. So um, yeah, I guess there's a couple of things that we we can chat about here. One is like, is it even worth paying fifty thousand dollars a year for a school? But before we jump into that, let's just um, talk about should school be charging the same amount when they're doing all the teaching online, or should it be cheaper? Should it be more expensive? Or what do you think about that? So, what's the uh, context exactly? How much does Harvard charge generally? Let's say it's not online. Like, it's, is it still fifty k a year? Yeah, exactly. That's the point here. So I'm just looking at their website and um, it's $51,904 for the 2020-2021 academic year. And um, yeah, and essentially, I guess some people are expecting it to go down because um, because of the coronavirus, it's going to be all online, regardless of whether you're living on campus or off campus or wherever you live, it's all going to be online. And um, they're still going to char- charge the same $50,000 as they would have charged if the school was actually held um, on the campus like you would mm-hmm. normally do if there wasn't a global pandemic going on. Uh, yeah, I think $50,000, if you think about it, like if it's being held, <laughs> if it's being held on Zoom, then I think it's um, definitely an overcharge. Definitely, because uh, at, at that point, what are you exactly paying for? I mean, one, you're paying for education. You're also kind of paying for the the accreditation or the diploma that you get but i think there's a lot of things there's a lot of value i know like there's another topic that i kind of want to pursue is is college important i think there's a lot of invisible value that comes with school and simply being around other people but the fact that that's kind of taken out of the equation i don't i wouldn't say that 50k is worth it yeah i think that's a good point um honestly i don't know if it's worth it or it's not but i, I think the approach of just kind of just just breaking down what, what what are you actually paying for when you pay those fifty thousand dollars? Yeah, you, you definitely are paying for the classes, for attending the classes, for the teachers. Um, but I think part of it is also you're paying for the the school facilities, whether the gym or library or whatever that might be. And then you're definitely paying for the Harvard brand name, right? It's probably one of the most, if not the most, reputable schools in the world. And and then exactly like you said, there's the community aspect. So there's 
you're on the campus, you have the chance to interact with other people and it, it, it's kind of like a, um, the playground. Yeah. Let, let's call it a playground. Let's call it a, playground. A, a community or whatever it is. And, um, I think all of these are really hard to replicate online. So, so yeah, I, I would have to agree with you. I think it's, um, it's kind of insane that people are actually willing to pay $50,000 for um, going to www.harvard.edu rather than the actual Harvard. One thing that kind of comes to mind is doesn't Harvard and don't most private schools, I don't know what the proper word is, but are, don't they usually sit like on a large amount of money contributed to them? What are they called? Endowment. Yeah. yeah. And, and like what's Harvard's endowment? Uh, I think it's, it's. I think it's one of the largest. Uh, let me see. I, I have it. It's, it's forty billion dollars. Yes, yeah. that's it's a lot crazy. of money. Like, I'm pretty sure you can tap into some of that endowment. It probably could. I, I don't know what the rules for that are, or what it, what it is actually meant for, or anything. But um, yeah, it's it's crazy. If it's forty billion dollars, and usually you can probably make safely like three to four percent um, uh, return on your capital, right? So if you do 4% of um, 40 billion, that's $1.6 billion a year that they could theoretically take out and still have the same $40 billion in their, in their endowment, in their accounts. So I, I don't know how much running the school costs. I, I can imagine it must cost a lot of um, money, both in terms of maintaining the facilities as well as in terms of having the faculty stuff and stuff like that. But, but yeah, it, it, I, I would have hoped that they could... Um, <laughs> somehow charge less but but then again i guess the question is um do, do they need to charge less because at the end of the day um like as much as people probably don't like saying it this way I, I think harvard is at the end of the day a business just like any other business that needs to make as much money as possible so that they can um, stay around as long as possible right so so i guess the question then becomes like uh, is there any people that that would have paid the full fifty thousand dollars that don't get any scholarships let's say that would uh, that are not willing to pay the fifty thousand dollars just because it's online because because it to me it definitely seems like um, there's people that go to good schools to learn and those are probably the ones that get a lot of scholarships and that that might pay like a, just a fraction of the fifty thousand dollars and then there's probably people that um, go to the school because of the brand name and because they can afford it and I feel like to those um, they they don't necessarily care whether it's online or offline or whatever it is, all they really care about is getting the Harvard diploma at the end of the four years or however long it is. What, what do you think about that? Well, hold on. I was looking up um, endowment. So <laughs> you caught me off guard. Like I was looking the con like I'm looking at a CNBC article. It says there's a common misconception that endowments, including Harvard, can be accessed like bank accounts used for anything at any time as long as funds are available. In reality, Harvard's flexibility in spending from the endowment is based wait is limited by the fact that it is designed to last forever which is crucial for an institution intended to serve generations of students and pursue research on big questions questions that can't be answered in light in a lifetime and there's like a pie chart distribution 30 percent is flexible 24 percent is professorship 19 percent is scholarship and student support nine percent is other seven percent is research four percent is program support four percent is library and museums 2% is faculty and teaching, 1% is capital and construction. And last year, the school used $1.9 billion from the endowment in what is known as the endowment distribution to cover some of the school's operating costs. Okay. So they used $1.9 billion. Yeah. And they still needed tuition? Wow. It's, it's, I mean, it's still, I, I would be more comfortable with like a, a forensic accountant 
of sorts to go through the numbers because like a billion is a lot of money yeah i'm sure i'm sure maybe they know yeah I, 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 yeah i think um this kind of brought to attention kind of the future of education in a way because again I, I i certainly agree with you that there's value in um in like the university environment so to say but then again i i, I wonder like um could, could you create something similar but that's not a university but that's um or, or i'm sure there are already things like that where people just get together to start businesses together or to to do whatever at a much lower cost like I can't imagine being able to justify spending fifty thousand dollars a year on school. Essentially, I can't either. I mean, like, I think one thing we can completely agree on is that um, the price for schools is way too high. Yeah, and, and it, it, that's kind of, um, I guess, the result of the American system, right? Where where you have these student loans that students can default on, so they're essentially guaranteed. And 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 then what's what's the other thing stopping um, schools from increasing the tuition if if banks are willing to lend the money to students and students are willing to go to the school yeah. or, or they, or they feel like it's necessary to go to school to have, to have like chances at doing uh, a relatively high income job at the end of the four years. Right. It's a tough question to answer. Um, like, can you replicate that space elsewhere? That's not a school. I guess, I don't know. It's, it's a very good question. I think it requires someone a little smarter Let's examine that. Um, hmm. I, I think it's really hard because, again, if you go on Twitter, you'll see so many people saying that, oh, you can buy an online course for $2,000 and you don't have to spend $50,000 on Harvard and you can spend $48,000 you have remaining on something else. But but then again, I, I think it, it's really hard to compare these things. It's not like Harvard is worse than a $2,000 online course or it's better than a $2,000 online course. It, it, I guess it really depends on each individual, right? Because mm. like there are some people that go to Harvard to become lawyers and then they make a lot of money being lawyers. Whether they're happy or not, that's another question. But they definitely get their return on investment there, right? Like if you spend $200,000 on Harvard and then you go on to make um, half a million dollars a year that you otherwise wouldn't have made, then I'd say that's money pretty well spent, right? Yeah. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. But, but the, wait, wait, wait. That's a very good point actually um let's let's take coronavirus maybe we're entering a new subject here because the the uh, the initial issue was like you know is 50k worth it for an online course i mean like taking an online course at harvard let's let's if i were to take that aside if i were to place that aside would i think that 50k in general for harvard is okay i would first of all i don't have 50k lying around for me to just drop in and like i don't have the freedom to jump in and be like yeah i already have a degree too so (laughs) But I, there's a part of me that thinks that it's worth it. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know, maybe through the experience of having went to university already. But at the same time, you know, like, it, we, we, can, we can tread down many roads here, right? We can also start arguing, saying, but some people can't afford 50K, but are just as smart and probably could do better than some people that are kind of getting into the school because their parents went to the school. To which point I also agree, you know? But like I think it's such an investment is always worth it. So taking Corona aside, I think the investment would be worth it. Corona with with the with Corona in the equation now, online classes where you're not seeing other people, um, where you're just learning from home. I, that's a harder question to answer, and like I, I'm leaning more towards the negative. Yeah, I I think so. But and and then it also yeah exactly like you said, it's like um, there's probably people that can't afford a 50k, but that um could do great things with a Harvard degree. And I, and I think, um, I, I don't know what the exact percentage is or whatever, but I think a lot of um, 
students that go to Harvard actually don't end up paying the full fifty thousand dollars, right? They probably have some sort of scholarship or, or whatever it might be. Hmm. Um, but but yeah, it, it's it's also really hard to determine. Like, if fifty thousand is too much, then how about forty thousand? Is yeah. forty thousand still too much, or how about twenty thousand, ten thousand, five thousand? What was the right amount, right? It's, yeah, it's uh, it's really hard to determine. Yeah, and I, I, if you I think maybe this is just my opinion. Like if you, you, again, Harvard is a very powerful brand name. You can monetize that many ways afterwards, after school. Like, you know, you're an instant shoe in in most companies. Like I know for a fact, some companies only hire Ivy League. I had an internship once where they only hired Ivy League and I was not Ivy League. And I'm like, why am I here? Like, why did you take me? I felt a little, I felt a little odd about that, but that's the reality of the world. Yeah, I think that absolutely. I think if you're looking for a traditional job, then, um, it probably makes a lot of sense because I, I think that's another thing that a lot of like if you follow a lot of like these people on Twitter and stuff, I think the way they're looking at it is like everybody's meant to be an entrepreneur or everybody's meant to be a creator or everybody's meant to be self-employed or whatever. Yeah. And and in that case, I absolutely agree that spending fifty thousand dollars on or, or sorry, spending two hundred thousand dollars on a university degree is just insane because you can probably learn most of the stuff by yourself or whatever. But but then again, not everybody wants to be an entrepreneur or not everybody wants to do their own thing. There are some people that actually want to be lawyers, that, that want to be doctors, doctors, that want to be whatever. And and there need to be doctors, there need to be lawyers, there need to be accountants, right? Yeah. Well, I think we can all we can also we're, we we may also tread down another topic here as to is school useful for entrepreneurs? And like again, we can go either way on this. You know, it's yes, college is probably the best way to get a full time job. Does it dissuade entrepreneurship? I don't know. Because like, you can't place full blame or full responsibility on college. It's also like, all right, so this is personal talk. Like in, in our case, in Temple University, both of us went there, right? Yeah. Um, I know like a lot of people complained. There was, like a, there was a thing called getting templed where you end up like taking more classes or you, you still require some other classes to take before you graduate. And, and in other words, like templed was like a just language for getting screwed over and having to take another class that you you thought you didn't have to take. I never had any issues. And in fact, I think like my time in school was wonderful. Yes, same same here. Right? Yeah. And I think like most people kind of go through this thing as if it's a well-greased system designed to process them, you know, in from like they go into the door and they get uh kicked out like supposedly ready for the world. I don't think that's I don't think that's the case anywhere. Um, most people kind of, they just coast by without really taking advantage of everything at, at the school. For example, you know, one thing I really liked was I had a, one class where the professor was an accountant. I think it was a finance class. I don't know. And like, I told him straight up, listen, I know for a fact that I'm never going to do finance again in my life because I hate this topic to death. Please give me something else. Most students, I think, would not ask for that. They would just follow along and be like, all right. It's so like to, to say that, you know, school is breeding like, um, how would you say, complacent people that don't take on opportunities or they're just sliding through life waiting to get orders. I think it's more of a, it's a very difficult question to answer, but I don't think school should be shouldering that blame. It's like, not not even the blame. It's like, it's it comes down to the person. It comes down to how they were raised. Now we can, we can open up a whole nother bottle or a can of worms and get into the discussion. I just think that, people also don't use the school to its fullest ability. I absolutely agree with that. I, I feel like uh, a lot of people go to school just because, go to university just because they they, they really don't know what they want to do. And um, 
it, it's kind of like buying some time, right? Buying yourself yeah. some time before you actually have to do some, uh, let's, let's call it the real thing for, for, for the lack of a better word. But um, yeah, I, I think, um, and, and you see it like if, if there's people that just um, go to a class to f essentially to barely pass, like what was the point? Like, yeah. If that if that's your philosophy, if your philosophy is I'm gonna to go to university and I'm gonna essentially attempt to pass, then, then there really is nothing you're getting out of it aside from the diploma, which is what you get if you pass all your classes as you should. Yeah. But but if you go into it um, and and try to leverage whatever is opportunities there are, of which um, there's a lot, whether it's um, building your network or um, or even learning things, right? You you can of course you can learn everything on YouTube, but um, you can also learn it in a classroom. Yeah. And everybody learns differently. Um, I think you can learn even faster with another person. Yeah, exactly. So, again, I, I, um, yeah, there's people that are saying things like universe is dead and things like that. Um, I, I, think that's, um, I think that's too extreme of a view. I, I think um, universities need reform mm -hmm. and um, university financing or, or pricing or whatever, um, the loans and things like that definitely need reform in the United States. Yeah, at least watching it as an outsider, but universities themselves, I, I think, because because honestly, how many people when they're like, um, and and that's kind of my issue with the U.S. system is like, how many people when they're 18 do they really know what they want to do when they're 25? I think most people don't even know what they want to do when they're 40. Like, it's it's a um, it's remember that conversation we had about labels. You know, it's, a, yeah. it's like so some some people are like, yeah, I really, you know, from child childhood, they're like, yeah, I want to become a doctor or a fireman and they go out and go on to live out these goals. But, you know, maybe a lot of them are happy, but another person would be like, all right, but like, hmm, maybe this wasn't quite it. You know, I guess that's the notion of trying to label yourself and uh, stick yourself into a square hole if you're a round peg. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and again, exactly because of this, I think. Like university is good because it gives you four years or two years where you can essentially experiment, right? Yeah. And especially if you're like in, in Europe, in Slovakia, for example, or I think in many European countries, the school's essentially free, right? So, so it, it literally gives you four years to experiment for pretty much free. Now, the problem in the United States is that to experiment, you have to pay like tens of thousands of dollars. And when you get to the starting line, <laughs> you're at like minus $100,000 or something. Yeah, Th that I think is just messed up. Definitely agree there. Yeah. So, so again, I, I think there's yeah, like if you're going to school to experiment, I think that's good because you can definitely you can learn new things, you can meet new people, you can kind of um, get to know a bunch of different new things that you had no idea before, that you had no idea about before. But at the same time, if you have to pay two hundred thousand dollars for it or whatever, <clears throat> then, then um, I, I'd much rather not pay it and try to just. Um, invested in some sort of business or something. But but then again, not everybody wants to do business, right? Some people want to have a job, which is perfectly fine. Some people fine. want to create. Some people, yeah, some people want to create. Some people want to be doctors. Some people want to do X. Some people are better. You know, some people are more designed based on their character and nature. Yeah, exactly. You know what I hate the most? This is like my complaining episode. Go ahead. <laughs> you know what I hate the most? is like when you see these creators online that are making good money and they're making good stuff. Mm-hmm. But but then they make then they say something like oh the future of the world is everybody's going to be a creator, like like a kind of an individual creator. But then if yeah. everybody's an individual creator, who's gonna who's gonna be a doctor? Who's gonna be a lawyer? Yeah. Or, or, or who's gonna do actually like bigger stuff? Like who's gonna build the next um, whatever 
hydrogen car? Who's going to build the next rocket? Who's going to take us to Mars? There was that survey, I think they were asking kids, like in various time frames of what they wanted to be when they grew up. Like, you know, you'd have like, depending on, I don't know, like if it was the 1970s or the 80s, kids wanted to be astronauts, depending on what was really hot at that time and what, what was going on in history. And like, if you had, I don't, I don't remember where I read it from. Like in now present day kids are like, I want to become a influencer or a YouTube star. Yeah, I think there was a similar survey in like um, in Japanese elementary schools or middle schools or something, and, and it was exactly the same. It used to be like, uh, want to be a doctor, want to be a firefighter, whatever. And I think now one of the top ones was like a YouTuber, which again is, it's, I don't think it's bad, but uh, but uh, like YouTubers are definitely not gonna get get us to Mars. YouTubers are not gonna no. cure people. YouTubers are not gonna build houses, right? Yeah. So so I think it's it's a balance. Yeah, the world needs everyone. You know, and I, I guess the whole issue of like kids wanting to become YouTubers is that I guess um, I, maybe it's important what you raise your kids on. If your kids are sitting on YouTube and they're watching some YouTuber guy doing pr- pranks, they'd be like, yeah, I want to do that, too. Whereas like kids in the 80s were watching the NASA launches or something. And they're like, oh, wow, I want to become a, an astronaut. No, exactly. And that's the, that's the other point. I think um, like um, it's like. People paint YouTube to be a bad thing, or people paint computers to be a bad thing, or be a bad thing. But at the end of the day, they're just tools, right? So if you give your kid a smartphone, and all, all you show him or her is like stupid pranks, then then you're gonna get get kids that want to be stupid pranksters. Stupid pranksters. <laughs> if, if you take the if you take YouTube and show them videos of rocket launches or of like firefighters fighting fires or whatever, then that's what they're gonna aspire to. But uh, yeah, I, I think there's definitely a trend toward trend towards like a kind of not not sure if lower level is the right word but like mindless entertainment does that, yeah is, does that make sense that phrase oh it's i think it's like a it's been an ongoing trend for a while uh, i'm reading this book called um where's the book hold on it's called the demon haunted world by carl sagan the demon haunted world science as a candle in the dark basically it's a uh i, I mean like it, it Sagan goes on to tackle pseudoscience and whatnot. There's, there's a chapter on UFOs. There's a chapter on crop circles and whatnot. There's, a ch- there's like talking about how people would see like religious images in their <laughs> toast or inside like a fruit or like in a, in, in, in a tree, you know, if yeah. they got hit by lightning and suddenly they see Jesus in there. They think it's like, a, oh, it's a magical sign. There was, at, the, at the time of the book, at the time of his writing of the book, he says that Beavis and Butthead and Dumb and Dumber are in the movie theaters which kind of like gives you an example of where and what people kind of watch instead of like going for the more smarter stuff. Yeah, exactly. But 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 you know what's the problem? It's 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 not that there's like uh, mindless entertainment. Like I, I'm sure you like watching stupid comedies every now and then. I I love watching stupid comedies. Every I love now Dumb and Dumber. I I love the movie too. But <laughs> but uh, but I think the the problem is the accessibility, right? Yeah. It's like now you can spend a whole day watching stupid YouTube videos. And not even realize it. Like you wake up, you turn on your iPad, your iPhone, or whatever your computer. You put on one video, and then unless you like, one, one tip that I recommend everyone to do is just turn off the autoplay on YouTube. Because like once once you let YouTube control what's played next, and you don't have to even click to watch the next video, hmm. you're just gonna get caught in watching like a lot of stuff that you wouldn't have watched otherwise. But 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 to me that's the problem. It's like it's so accessible, and and it's made to be addictive essentially, right? Yeah. There's like there's companies like Facebook and um, YouTube and stuff like that that spend so much money on just trying to figure out how to increase the time that um, people spend on their platforms. By the way, have you? 
I listen. I just want to interject uh, or interrupt. Um, I listened to a podcast recently. It was like the exploitation economy by Steve Galloway, the Prop G Show. Have you ever listened to that? By Scott Galloway, you mean? Yeah, I think he wrote the Big Four. You mentioned that book. Yeah, I, I read that book, but I haven't listened to his podcast. Well, it's, it's exactly like what you're saying, you know. And I think this also delves into another really deep, complex um, topic, you know, self-control versus, uh, for lack of a word, no self-control. And like, you know, these companies are pumping in millions and millions of dollars to figure out how to take advantage of emotions and human nature to make their product more addictive. So, I, you know, like if we were to trail down the, the topic of self-control and humans being in charge of their own destiny, I would, I think that the companies with like the millions of dollars, they're probably a bit smarter and probably will win over someone who thinks they have self-control and they can self-control their way out of the YouTube uh, algorithm. And if yeah. they can't at least control one person, they'll definitely control a large enough population to like uh, watch whatever they want them to watch. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, and, and don't get me wrong, I love tech and I love YouTube and I love all these platforms because I think they really change the world for the good a lot. But at the same time, like they've got so much information about you that it's really easy, not, not easy, but it's possible for them to figure out um, what is it that you want to consume. And like, it's like if you go to the store and you are forced to stand in front of the, in front of the snacks shelf yeah. for like a day. You're going to buy snacks. You're going to eat all the snacks because like th that's kind of your natural instinct, right? That your natural, like, wait, you, you just want to stock up on um on what you enjoy eating. And it's the same with YouTube or it's the same with Facebook or whatever. It's, it's like you go there and you're fed what you love to consume. But consuming too much of anything is bad for you. Yeah. Whether, whether that's snacks or whether that's medicine, stupid videos or medicine or whatever, whatever it might be. And and that's what essentially they're they're paying people to do, right? They're paying people to figure out how to trigger the responses that um that essentially drugs like cocaine and so on trigger when you use them. Okay. Technolo the technological sector definitely is overdue for a bit of a disruption and regulation, which I think Europe is like at least making strides against, yeah. or stri strides in favor of, whereas the, in, in the case of the U.S., it's like a wild, wild west. Yeah, I, I think in Europe, they're a bit more strict. I think in the U.S., there's been a few hearings and stuff like that in the Congress, but uh, I don't think anything material has been done yet. All right. So uh, I guess we kind of jumped off the topic of Harvard 50K for an online school, but I think we're both in agreement, right? Like 50K for Zoom classes is a bit of a stretch, to say the least. Yeah, I, I think it really depends. Again, like if you're if you want to be a lawyer and you want the Harvard degree, then probably in, in 10 years, nobody's going to care if you earned your Harvard degree online or offline. Yeah. When you apply to the law firm or something. But um, if, if you don't know what you want to do or if you want to do your own business or something, then I think spending $50,000 to stare at the screen is insane. Yeah. All right. So what should we talk about next? What do you got? Um, so so I think next, you, you had something next, right? Um, Knowing versus understanding. Yeah. So, so what do you mean by that? Uh, this actually... Where did this come from? Yeah. This came from, uh, ironically, a YouTube video. <laughs> but, but not a stupid... Funny YouTube video, right? <laughs> no, this uh, actually I don't remember watching it. Like I was no, just earlier we were going, both of us were going through our YouTube history for the fun of it. It was not planned, and uh, I had a, I think this video popped up, but I wasn't probably aware of it being played. But it's a video by Richard Feynman. He was a physicist back in the day, a very popular physicist on knowing versus understanding. So. I'll be honest, I don't know what went on in that video, but like I kind of get a sense of 
you know, like how we can talk about fitness, right? Yeah. Both of us know, yeah. both of us know that fitness is important. Both, all of us know that uh, health is important. We kind of know it. Or in my case, in, and in your case, like, you know, you personally know the power of compounding interest, or I just kind of know it intellectually. But as a result, I don't do anything about it. I don't take it like it's, you know, also like a person knows they, they should exercise, but they don't exercise. So there's that knowing where you kind of can spit out a fact. And there's that understanding where you understand how the process works truly. And you take advantage of that knowledge. Yeah, that, that sounds like a very important distinction to make. I, I think, and, and you see a lot of people, um, and, and sometimes even ourselves, ju just talk about things where we heard something, yeah. but, but we don't really know like what the context is, right? Or or, or what, the, what, what all the other things surrounding it are, yet we think we know we understand the essence of it in, in, in a way, I guess. Yeah. And um, so, so I think there's two ways to understand this. And um, I think one is what you were just saying is kind of knowing versus doing. It's like, I know that if I work out every day, I'm going to live longer probably than if I don't work out every day. But I still don't work out every day other yeah. than going for like a walk or something. So, so, so that's something that definitely I got to implement, right? I, I, I know it. And, and, uh, and I guess the other part of it is that in this case, I'd even say I understand it, but um, I, I just somehow failed to implement it. So, so I think um, I, I think what you said is it's definitely part of the thing, but I think there's kind of an, another dimension to this, which is just kind of um, knowing because you heard something or because you read something versus understanding it because, one, of course, you learn about it and you know it, but you also kind of experience that you live through it. I think it's an experiential thing. Like a person that has worked out 10 times, for example, it's a lot easier for them to continue working out as, a as opposed to a person who's never worked out because they kind of have that muscle memory. And they kind of have the, and I wouldn't, maybe I don't want to call it intellectual. It's not an intellectual understanding. It's more of a very, I guess I would use the word again, experiential process of working out. Like once, because we, yes, we can know and we can understand. We can, we can read facts about say, you know, so-and-so, again, so-and-so study says that people live longer or for old people that uh, your bones maintain their density if you do heavy lifting as opposed to those who don't. But like that knowledge kind of, even though it kind of gives us like a bit of understanding, like I think you still wouldn't do it. There's, there's a very, it's a very hard threshold to cross between knowing and doing or knowing and applying. And I think you can only cross that threshold is when you actually apply it. Because like also it's like talking about dance, right? It's like we can talk about dance or, you know, like how I struggled you know, in that last uh, unscripted conversation that we had on like improv and being in the moment. Some of these things... And like, let's, let's take it down to even something more simpler, going up and talking to a girl, we can talk about all of the tactics or whatever things that you can try to do. But ultimately, what the whole situation is, is you, you only learn, you only under, gain an understanding of it when you actually do it. Yeah, I, I think so. But yeah, I, I think with the gym example, I guess, thinking about it, um, I, I think there's definitely the element of understanding, but I think there's also the element of just forming a habit, which I don't think is necessarily completely related to understanding. But, but I think, yeah, the other examples too, um, I think they illustrate as well. But um, so, so I guess, would you say then that um, everybody that does also understands? Because that also doesn't sound like that would be the case to me. It's a good question. If everyone does, do they understand? Yeah, it sounds like a, an extreme statement because you can do things mindlessly and have them work out, but you don't kind of get it you don't develop a deeper understanding of it. Like, for example, someone can go to the gym and just do curls, but they could do them in poor form. They will probably get some results, but at the same time, they'll develop an imbalance and 
maybe injuring themselves later on. Yeah. It also yeah, it also depends, I guess, on a person's awareness, like and how, yeah, how mindful they are of the task at hand. Otherwise, yeah, exactly. You go in there, you do some curls, you think you that's it, you're done. Whereas if you if you did them wrong, then <laughs> your biceps are growing in the wrong way, or if you, they're probably not growing at all. It's a very good question. Yeah, because because I, I was wondering, like, because um, I I definitely think you have to experience to understand. Like, let's say in the case of let's say you want to do business in Japan, right? And Japan is quite different from like some other countries in terms of how business is done here and things like that. And you can he- hear all the stories that you want, but you will not believe it. And there, there's many companies that um that I think wanted to enter Japan. And they thought they could just do business the way they do it in their home country, for example. And then there are people, there's people telling them, yeah, but in Japan, the sales cycles are longer. In Japan, you have to do this, you have to do that. And it's different because of this. And Japanese prefer domestic brands much more and things like that. And, and that person would go like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. I get this, but our product's different. And thinking that they know, they enter the market their own way without really adjusting. And then once they actually enter here and they burn for a lot of cash, and go for all the mistakes, then they finally understand that, oh, yeah, Japan truly is different. So, so I guess that's kind of what you're trying to describe in, in a way. In the gym sense? Yeah, both in the gym sense and in some of the other examples. It's like, it's, it's almost like unless you, um, unless you, you get real feedback on your real problems and on your real stuff, then you can't fully understand something, no matter how much you hear about it or no matter how much videos you watch about it or whatever. Yeah, that makes sense. Like nowadays I'm more thinking of like, you know, there's there's a difference between there's a world of a difference between knowing and experiencing, or rather reading about it and doing about it. So, like the, the first stage is to go from out of like out of your head and into reality, from reading to taking action. But there's a stage above that too. There's a stage above that too, and that's like once you're good at taking action, then it becomes about taking meaningful action. And how do you take meaningful action? You have to start applying a bit of a brain work there. Yeah, that's a that's a good point because. Um... I guess whether it comes to sciences or whatever it comes down to, I'm always kind of for taking quick action because I think you can theorize about things all you want and you can read about things all you want. Um, you're never going to get the results that you plan for. But at, at the yeah. same time, if, if you take the action and then kind of don't stop to reflect at what you've done and to kind of look around what other people are doing and how you're doing com- against compared to them and things like that, then you can stay on this path of just doing things for the sake of doing things. Hmm without really getting to understand what you're doing or without really getting to kind of reflect upon what you're doing to kind of yeah. learn things and re- and kind of figure out whether what you're doing is good or not. I, yeah. I guess that's not a good way to live either, right? At which think. point I think you, you know, like at which point I think you need to have thinkers on your team. Because, yeah, like, you know, the argument is that, well, the, the argument I'm injecting into this discussion, not the argument that we're having, but there's a, the whole concept of doers versus thinkers. And people prefer doers more. But at some point, like, there's only so much that doing can help you. Like, it's not it's not the doing alone that probably gets a rocket into the atmosphere. Probably a, you you need some people to, to be knowledgeable enough to understand what's going to happen before you take that action. Like, yeah, like in terms of starting a side hustle, it doesn't take much thought to start a blog and start pumping out articles. But for you to take that blog from, like, say, 100 bucks to $1,000 a month or to, to $10,000 a month, you need some sort of overarching plan and you need to think a little bit more than whatever you did in terms of getting you from like starting the blog to bring it to a hundred bucks a month. Like it requires a different kind of thinking um, and requires, I think far or long-term thinking that a lot of people are not very comfortable with or interested in. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess uh, 
I, I guess you have to both know and understand, right? Because if you don't know, if, if you first don't know, then like, how, how do you even figure out which which first step to take? Yeah. But then again, if you just spend all your time gathering knowledge and never kind of take the action to to do something to understand it properly, then then what's that knowledge good for, right? Yeah. Like I think um, some of these tech companies that are building products that take advantage of human nature and human emotions are good examples of like people that haven't really thought through what value they're bringing to the world. As long as they may, they're finding a way to earn money, then that's good enough. But like, you know, you kind of need that extra philosophical step. Like, is this product, yeah, it earns money, but is this product good for the world? And what are the downsides? And am I building something good? You know, the one thing is like, I remember reading about the, remember Flappy Bird? It was an app. Yeah. The original owner took it off the app store, even though it got insanely popular because I don't know, I'm not, I don't know what exactly he said, but from my understanding or memory was that he felt like it wasn't the most useful contribution to the world. And, and as such, he took it down where someone else would be like, what a dumb idea, bro. You should have kept it up and made millions of dollars off of ad revenue. And there are many ways of looking at this, but you can't front on him because like that's at that point, that's where like kind of the philosophy steps in is like, is this what the world needs? Is this right or wrong? And I think that's kind of what is not enough. We don't have enough of that in the world. Yeah, but but at the same time, I, f- I think it's really hard to determine it, right? Like, does the world need Super Mario? Does it need Pokemon? Does it need, I, I don't know, pretty much anything? Like, you can argue for and against everything. It's like, even Facebook, as, as, as much as it's useful, it's also a thing that people waste a lot of time on. So I, I think it's like, like with the Flappy Birds example, I, I can see why he did it. But at the same time, um, I, I don't know. I'm not 100% uh, convinced either way whether it was a good decision or a bad decision. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's down to the creator, you know. I mean, and also some of these things, it's, it's very hard to, to like quantify or it's hard to tell early on. But maybe if someone conducted a long, long enough study of Flappy Bird addicts and they found out that Flappy Bird addicts on average, have like twenty uh, percent less cognitive ability as the person as the people that don't have Flappy Bird addiction. Then you would know. But I think a lot of these things aren't easily recognizable or understandable. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you mentioned Flappy Birds though, because it, it reminded me of um, a while back. I was looking at a bunch of um, CSR reports of a variety of Japanese companies, and um, you, you know Pachinko, right? For, for those that don't know, yeah. it's like a, essentially it's a gambling game here where it, it, they call it Japanese pinball, but it's, um, it's, it's a bit more luck-based and you're not really controlling anything other than shooting the balls. Hmm. And, so and a, people spend a lot of money on it here. It's gambling pinball. It's, it's gambling pinball, let's call it that. But in, anyways, the point is um, there's a lot of people spending a lot of money on it and um, you, you can't probably win it consistently. So it's, it, let, let's put it in the same group as roulette, for example. But, but anyways, there's this um, publicly traded company that um, creates these machines for these outlets and um, in their CSR report, they were saying thing, they were saying something along the lines of, we're not doing any community activities because we're creating these machines which are providing a lot of joy to people, right? And, and that to me sounds really ridiculous. It's like they're, they're creating these gambling machines and they think they're providing joy to people. So, and again, I, I guess maybe from their point of view, maybe that's what they really think, I, I don't know. But um, it, it just, just something similar to, to the Flappy Birds example, I thought. Yeah. It's, it's, well, I can probably assume that the person that wrote that up is coming from the point of view that humans make rational decisions and they are ultimately responsible for their actions and whatnot. And so 
the reason why they do this is because uh, they enjoy pachinko. And maybe it's like, you know, it's like a person enjoys potato chips or alcohol, but a bit too much of it. And it's like, it's uh, demonstrably dangerous and damaging. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think um, the knowing versus understanding is definitely an example of that here where you're kind of looking at one aspect of it, but you're not looking at all the different kind of possibilities, I guess, so to say. And um, I think I think the other way, the other place where this can be applied, and we were chatting about this before, but uh, there's people that really believe in kind of meritocracy, that believe that um, anybody can become anything, essentially. Yeah. Right. And, and to me, that's another kind of prime example of theory versus practicality, or of knowing versus understanding. You could probably say, because yeah, in, in theory, anybody can go on the internet now and make a million dollars. Yeah. Like every, you, you can find a thousand articles that will say, start a blog, make an online course and be a millionaire. And there's a decent amount of people that actually manage to do that. And the theory here would go like, yeah, so you can do that whether you're in America, whether you're in Kenya, whether you're in Ethiopia, whether you're in India, whether you're in Japan, whether you're in Slovakia, wherever you are, it's a level playing field, right? Because of the internet. But but the reality is never as simple, right? It's like how many... Um, how many online millionaires do you find from uh, Ethiopia or Nigeria or something? Other than uh, like, I think the Nigeria scams are probably a special case of this. But but like, um, but but there's there's so many barriers that uh, unless you actually put yourself into the shoes of that person, that you you can't even imagine, right? It's like, yeah, sure, everybody can go on the internet and everybody can start a blog, but can they really? Essentially, yeah. I think this this kind of like people oversimplify here a lot. Yeah, I think one is oversimplifying. And I think the other thing um, that you can see a lot is like, what is it called? Survivorship bias. Yeah. Where it's the people that actually made it that um, believe that anybody can do it. Yeah. and they're, But they're still applying that kind of simplistic thinking too. It's like, maybe it's the inability to understand another person and drive your own point to the world. Yeah, I think there's no phrase that I have as mixed feelings about as um, I did it so you can do it too. Because on one end, I think it's really, really motivating phrase, and it's 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 um it, it's true. But on the other end, like no two people are alike, and no two people are in the exact same situation, right? So it completely disregards the some people will hate me for saying this, but the luck factor, for example, right? Like yeah. everybody has to have some sort of luck. Like like you could have done exactly the same things as Elon Musk or whoever, but you could have ended up in a completely different place and. And a lot of people disregard that, I feel like. Yeah, I think the I did it so you can do it to kind of, uh, what is it called? Well, the I, I did it so you can do so you can do to thinking. The person that's saying that is like, I think they would be much more helpful if they were holding the other person's hand and actually guiding them through it, like quite literally. Like probably, I, I, again, backtracking to like school or not, or whatever, unrelated. But like one of the best ways to learn is to learn with someone else and through experience. Whereas the whole I did it so you can do two thing is like more of a marketing pitch that you just want a person to buy your course because you want them to be convinced that if they earned, you could probably earn by following the same simple steps. So like, yeah, that's exactly. well, that's like a very narrow way. That's one very narrow view of that topic. But I definitely agree. Like, you know, no one's exactly on a level playing field. And that alone, that topic alone can like we can go down multiple avenues, whether where you're from, what family you're born into, where you are mentally, how much burden you already have, how much stress you already have, what your goals, and you know, like this, yeah, it's it's complicated. Yeah, and I think even just like 
genes? Like, who are you? Like, um, I think some people are more naturally driven than others, right? Some people naturally gravitate toward one thing more than the other thing. And and those are all things that um, I think that no online course can teach or no, um, no amount of knowledge can solve unless you actually understand yeah. yourself, unless you're, as Gary B would like to so say, unless you're self-aware. Or Bruce Lee. Or Pooh. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know how much reflection Winnie the Pooh does because <laughs> Winnie the Pooh just is yeah. the uncarved block. <laughs> So the next up, what do we have? We have Elon Musk overtakes Buffett. Not Buffett. <laughs> Wait, is it Buffett? Yes, it's Buffett. I was about to mispronounce and say buffet. <laughs> He's got actually... I, I, was not, I was not sure which word I was saying. Like, am I saying Buffett or am I saying buffet? Am I mispronouncing buffet? It's Warren Buffett, right? Yeah, so, so, I, yeah, so, so I guess um, uh, I, I thought it's worth kind of just chatting about. Um, I, I just read today or yesterday that um, Elon Musk overtook Warren Buffett as... I think the sixth richest person in the world, or, or okay. one of the richest persons in the world. In, in either case, um, Elon Musk overtook Warren Buffett. And uh, b- before we continue, I think it's important to note here that um, a lot of these net worths are really um, volatile. Because, like, mm-hmm. let's say Tesla stock goes down 20% tomorrow, then Elon Musk probably falls down to the next spot under Buffett or whatever. So, so um, I think these rankings are quite volatile. But, but anyways, um, the, the reason I brought this up is. Um, I guess kind of to discuss, um, in a way, who deserves to be rich, who deserves to be the richest. Like, mm-hmm. is it is it Warren Buffett who essentially takes companies and um, allocates money, takes money and puts them where he thinks that money is going to make more money? Or is it people like Elon Musk where um, they create things, where they create rockets, where they create um, cars, where they build products? What, what, what do you think? So essentially, it's a, it's a creator versus... A... What would Buffett be recognized as? A banker. One thing I'm kind of curious about is like, what is the actual lineup? Of like, who else is on that list? I think Mark Zuckerberg is the fifth, fifth richest person or something. Uh, probably the second one or something. But yeah, I, I think last time um, when, we, when we had an unscripted chat, I think I was actually admiring Buffett for being the only one, the only kind of capital allocator, the only banker yeah. on the list of top ten. And I, I think it's it's really admirable, and I think it really shows kind of how compounding works. And I I, I really admire what he's done. But at the same time, like see, seeing this news, it kind of made me made me think like uh, I guess who deserves the spot more. Just to spur some discussion. So, so the top top ten, and uh, and the interesting thing is that um, Elon Musk is not in here. But um, the latest top ten that I see on this page is Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, um, the guy that founded Louis Vuitton, and um, Warren Buffett, Larry Ellison, so Oracle, um, Ortega, so the guy that founded Zara, um, Zuckerberg, Facebook, and then three people relate. So the the Walton guys, so three people related to um, Walmart. I guess in the in the hmm, that's a hard topic. We'd have to like come up with frameworks of how to address the topic. And like as a shallow thought, I'm gonna say it's a shallow thought because I didn't give it much thought. I would say it's nice to have Elon Musk there because he's like again building rockets and stuff. And it's like I I like to think that a world kind of needs more builders. But that in that in no way kind of like implies that I'm a hundred percent Elon Musk fan. So yeah, and on the topic of. Warren Buffett, hmm, I don't know. If he meant if he made his money just through compounding and investing wisely, who deserves it more? It's like I don't I don't know. It's a tough question, right? It's, yeah. Yeah, because again, it's it's not like um either of them worked 
less hard or either of them were more smarter or whatever, more smartly. But um, yeah, personally, I just feel like somebody that's essentially trying to um, trying to make the planet habitable for a longer time by building electric cars and solar solar um, cities and stuff like that, and trying to make us multiplanetary through building um, uh, like essentially what are revolutionary rockets. Yeah. I, I just somehow like something inside of me tells me that that's more deserving of being um, of being richer. Hmm. But again, that, that's not how capitalism works, right? Capitalism doesn't necessarily reward people that do the best thing for the planet or people that do the best thing for the entire humanity or whatever. Yeah. So, it, which I guess raises the question of should should it be that way? Which again, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Well, should it be that uh, the best things that are best for the planet? Are rewarded more. I, I, it sounds I, that sounds like a good idea to me. Yeah, because again, like I'm, I'm looking at the list of um, the richest people in the world, and like somehow Warren Buffett stands out to me because because you have like you have Bill Gates, right? There's no doubt that Bill Gates, we have a lot to thank thank for, and and also the stuff that he's doing with his, um, I think charity is is really great. But but anyways, the, the way he made money, it's clear that um, essentially he's the reason why everybody has. And he's, he's the one essentially that managed to turn the idea of ha- everybody having a computer that's easy to use um, into an actual reality, right? So, so mm-hmm. I'd say that it's definitely deserving of it. Um, you've got the you've got the Walmart guys. So th- that, that's pure like selling products and creating stores where people go and shop. So to me, they're just like pure capitalism sort of. Mm-hmm. Like create something that people want and people buy it. Um, you've got Bezos who's built Amazon and who's built essentially the entire infrastructure where on which um, a lot of online businesses are, are built. So like the Amazon um, web services, like their, their server selling um, subsidiary, server provider sort of subsidiary. That, that's what a lot of online businesses are built on, right? So, so I think that besides just building the Amazon marketplace, they contributed a lot to the kind of the online infrastructure. And, and then you've got Warren, who's, who's a, really, like a really fascinating person to me because like, he bought a company that already existed, right? Mm-hmm. And then he waited for that company to grow further. And then he bought Coca-Cola and then, and then waited for that stock to be more valuable. And it, to, to me, just like on one side, it's so fascinating because he didn't have to like invent any sort of product. He was just really good at spotting these investment opportunities. But uh, on kind of the other end, like, like he, he spent his days just reading about companies, just trying to figure out which company to invest in, mm-hmm. which... Like I, I really don't know how much value that adds to the to the system. Yeah, I guess a, a follow up question would be of the companies that he invests in, how much value do they add to the system? That's a good question. So it depends, um, and I, I think it depends on which companies you're talking about. But I think he invested a lot in like insurance companies, and um, he's famous for investing in Coca Cola, for example. Yeah. Right now he has a big a big stake in um, Apple, but um, but but yeah, I, I, I guess regardless, there's just something that um, like th- there's little question that he's different from all the other richest people, right? Hmm. Like the, the way in which he acquired wealth, I think is different from all the other top people. And um, again, l- looking at these people, like um, I think what Jeff Bezos did is like revolutionary, no doubt about that, right? Yeah. Um, what Bill Gates did was revolutionary. Um, what Zuckerberg did arguably was revolutionary. Same with Walmart. And I, and I feel like Elon Musk is just the next type of person that, that's doing that exact same type of thing, like building something that we haven't built before or commercializing something that we haven't commercialized before. And, and I, I just somehow feel that um, it, it, that deserves to earn more than just allocating capital. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm sure Warren would 
argue differently. So I, I don't know. So it's a definitely it's a loaded question. There's a lot of things going in there. I, I don't know. Like it, what I would be also interested in is like, how do they see, you know, both of them being the fifth and sixth spot or the sixth and seventh spot or whatnot? Let me tell you what Elon said about um, Warren. So quote, quoting him. So, so when you take Warren Buffett, for example, and to be totally frank, I'm not his biggest fan. He does a lot of capital allocation. He reads a lot of annual reports of companies, all the accounts, and it's pretty boring, honestly. What he's trying to figure out is, does Coke or Pepsi deserve more capital? Hmm. Right? And when, when you put it that way, I, 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 it's kind of, I, I find it hard to disagree with what Musk said. Yeah. <laughs> right? When you put it bluntly, it's really hard to disagree with that. Yeah. I guess that's capitalism for you. Yeah, I, I guess so. Because then there's also the question of like, if Warren Buffett didn't buy the Coca-Cola stock, would somebody else buy it? The chances are yes. But um, it's like if Elon Musk didn't didn't um, invent the Falcon 9 or whatever, like the reusable rockets, hmm. like how many more years would we have to wait for somebody else like Elon Musk to come around and do the thing? Like to, to me, it just feels like Musk is like once in a century type of guy. Yeah. Because if these things don't make an, an um, immediate profit, it's like then most people would not consider them. Right. Because I think they've burned a lot of money through just going through SpaceX or building up these rockets. And like the whole point is to make them reusable and uh, cost effective. But even just to get to that stage, they have to burn through a lot of money where, where someone else would be like, that's not a good investment. I'd, I'd rather want a return on my investment right now or soon. Yeah. Like I, I think like Elon Musk is insane in some ways. Right. Like I, I think um, he's probably his his first like. He's had a couple of exits before, but his first major thing was PayPal, right? So, one, show me a person that revolutionized like three industries that had like real big incumbents that uh, did not necessarily were looking for change. Like he revolutionized finance with PayPal, which was like one of the first online payment services. He revolutionized cars with Tesla, where it's not like he was the first solar car. Uh, again, it's not like he was the first electric car maker, but he was the first one that um, that managed to bring it to the scale where where you can say it's an actual car company, right? Where it's not just some prototype in somebody's garage. Yeah. And now he's revolutionizing space. Like, um, and I don't know if you've seen the video of the Falcon Heavy, which has like three boosters and all of all of the three returning to Earth and it's like broomsticks landing. It, it, it just incredible. Yeah. And, and like to make millions of dollars of PayPal and then go like, okay, I'm going to invest it all into rocket company where you could just be sitting on a beach for the rest of your life, essentially. I, I think I, I think that just deserves a lot of respect and a lot of wealth in return if you're successful with that. I do too. I think he's, for, I mean, for that reason, yeah, the def guy definitely deserves the recognition and the uh, sixth spot or was it? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think he deserves the first spot, actually. Yeah. And, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets there one day. But but again, yeah. I think, yeah, I think the world needs a little bit more um, long-term thinkers. And that's not something you would find too often, especially with the capital. Yeah, and, and it, it kind of it's ironic because, um, for example, Warren Buffett, I, I, th I think he's investing for the long term, right? A lot of the times. He just wants to buy a company that's undervalued and then just hold it for a long time. Yeah. But then in the big picture, it's still, what, a couple of decades, like three decades? Yeah. And like, what value did you really create there? I think, I wonder how Warren, well, I guess how he sees himself. Maybe he cornered himself into a corner, painted himself into a corner. And he sees himself as I'm this kind of person. And as a result, he's not exactly considered or uh, concerned with, say, something more bigger like the future of humanity and saving uh, the environment or protecting the environment, making it sustainable. Yeah, it's, it, that's an interesting point. Because um, like when I was reading his book, I, it was talking about how um, 
he wasn't for for a large part of his life he wasn't really um, giving much money to charity or whatever but um now i think he pledged like most of his wealth to go to um to go to bill gates's foundation but essentially what he was saying is that he's really good at allocating capital and that's why he's yeah. doing it and then like as long as he's alive his time is best spent allocating capital so so from from that point of view i guess he's just doing what he's good at yeah so yeah and I, what he enjoys yeah so so I, I guess it's yeah it's not necessarily good or bad but um i, I guess it's more of a system systematic question like it, it, I, and like you said it, it's a very heavy question it's like who deserves more money but but then you could do that with all the people in the top 10 i guess or, yeah. or even all the people in the world like the bankers deserve to make more than doctors or and, and things like that so it, it's a very yeah. difficult question and uh, I, I mean, definitely, definitely teachers deserve definitely a lot of um money i guess it's it's also like people also price it on how much um audience or whatnot these i don't know like what the customer base is for example think about sports players they get paid a lot of money because the the industry brings in a lot of eyeballs yeah right and um whereas like what are they actually doing they're running across the field i'm sure they're doing i'm sure they're doing some really great feats but like may and maybe someone finds it valuable and people like watching it but like you know, there's so many ways to look at it, but I can probably say that teachers definitely don't are are not in that in a similar environment where like you know, millions of people are tuning in to watch teachers do their job. Yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, on, on kind of the salary level, it's people that generate a lot of money that get paid a lot of money. Yeah. So that kind of disqualifies teachers and firefighters and and um, other people paid from taxes, pretty much. Yeah. And yet, you want your kid to be raised by someone. Or like to be taught by not completely raised, but you you want your kids to have good influences and to have good teachers that will inspire them to be curious and pursue life and pursue whatever is important to the world. Yeah, I I, I think we could go on this topic forever talking about um <laughs> who deserves more money, but um uh, yeah, I, I guess unfortunately or fortunately or whatever the, the system just um, yeah, that's the current design of the system. Yeah, I, I guess I, I guess there's a whole point of capitalism, right? It's it's not a um, the the reward is not for doing the best thing for people or for others, but for generating the biggest returns on the capital. So th those two are often misaligned, I guess. Yeah. At which point is why I don't like, you know, putting labels on things because, um, you know, anyone that kind of brands themselves on almost just a pure capitalist type of thing, it's like they probably won't consider other options or they may see that as the only way but there's there there can be a point where the the way that worked to get you to here is not the way that'll work in terms of getting you from there to where you need to be yeah. and at which point you start you might want to start being flexible with whatever models or ways of thinking that you know this is another topic that's very heavy and uh, requires a lot of thinking and insight yeah i think it's something we should dive deeper into in um, in the next unscripted episode I mean, like my my simple thought on this is capitalism is great at many things, but there are some things that should not be guided by pursuit of profit. For example, you know, healthcare or anywhere anywhere else that where the goal of profit might stymie or ruin the ultimate goal of what we actually need as a human being or as a human species. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's the free market's good, but um, th there's definitely some instances where. A bit, a bit more structure is required, and and I think the American healthcare is a good example of that. Yeah, but, uh, I I don't want to get deep into politics. <laughs> it's, a, it's another topic and a half. Yeah, I, I think um we didn't necessarily draw any big conclusions in this episode, but um hopefully we talked about some things that um that people will find interesting enough to give some more thought on their own too. 
and just to yeah. kind of ju- just to um, get the brain moving a bit. Yeah, I mean, should we be the ones drawing conclusions is another question. I don't know. Um, I'd rather, yeah, I'd rather, like you said, have the person get their brain moving a little bit and think for themselves and consider all viewpoints. Yeah, exactly. Rather than us telling you, think this or do that. Yeah, I, I think we shared our opinions, but I don't think we, um, we, we came to any, <clears throat> and, and it's not even possible to come to any conclusions on these things because they're, they're pretty big topics. Yeah. All right. So guys, if you want to read a little bit more about what we talked about today, Harvard, 50K Frontline School, Knowing versus Understanding, Elon Musk overtakes Buffett. Guys, if you enjoyed what we talked about today and you want to read more, definitely check out the show notes where we'll include links for uh, some of these news items that we were talking about today as well as knowing versus understanding. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have delved into that topic because I didn't really watch the Richard Feynman video and we went off with our own spin on it. So just visit uh, sidehustlesandstuff.com forward slash E12 for the show notes for this episode. In case you do, we want to leave them with any insights. Yeah, I, I think um, not, not really an insight, but um, I think um, j- just like we talked today about a bunch of topics that, that don't really have a good short-term solution or that have no right answer, I think it's still um, good to talk about these things every now and then, give them some thought. And like when you see a piece of news, it's good to just ponder it for a while. Usually the results uh, or anything tangible of value doesn't come instantly, but it comes eventually. You know, like sometimes you read books like, oh, that was fun. And then like years later, like, oh, it may come up to be of value somehow. Exactly. This has been the Side Hustles and Stuff podcast. So guys, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please, 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 please give us... (laughs) positive review we'd like to get some uh growth in that area if we don't then whatever it's cool this is unscripted whatever and again thank you for listening in to the side hustles and stuff podcast with keishi and yuri later talk to you later